Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 21. And so our first day of business... We closed. We had to close the doors because we were not ready, which is so embarrassing to think about. But on the good side, our phone was ringing off the hook and we were booking parties for the entire next week. Welcome to a real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. Hey there, everybody. I am Jay Scott. I am your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, and I am here again this week with Mrs. Carol Scott. How are you doing today, Carol? Pretty darn happy as always. Life is pretty darn great. I'm happy. Uh, before we get started, thank you. I want to say thank you so much to all of our listeners. So many of you have already gotten online and filled out our listener survey. So thank you so much for that. And if you're a listener who hasn't done so already, here's another reminder to please help us out. We would absolutely love to hear from you and tell us what you think about the show, what we can do to make it even better for you. So go to biggerpockets.com slash biz survey. That's biggerpockets.com slash B-I-Z survey so we can get to know you a little better and keep making it what you want it to be. Awesome. And we have a great show today. So we're going to jump right in. Today's guest is, he's a true entrepreneur at heart. So his name's James Anderson, and he has started several businesses over the last decade. And his latest is a brick and mortar business aimed at creating and providing his customers great experiences. His business is called Forged Axe Throwing, and you can probably guess from the title what his business does. But in the past three years, he and his partner have grown that business to nearly a million dollars in revenue. He tells he tells us all about the details there, and he tells us how he grew the business, and he gives us a lot of actionable tips along the way. At the end of the conversation, we have a really good discussion about what you can be doing today to get your entrepreneurial career off the uh, off the launch pad, and how you can potentially start a brick and mortar business yourself, even if you don't have any cash. Okay, so. If you want to find out more about James and more about this show, you can check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow21. That's biggerpockets.com slash B-I-Z show 21. Now, before we jump into this interview, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Real estate investing is known for a lot of things, mainly making a very select group of people a whole lot of money. But being an online cutting edge experience is usually not one of those hallmarks. Well, thanks to Fundrise, that's no longer the case. Fundrise is the future of real estate investing. Their revolutionary model is transforming the industry, thanks to their software, which cuts out the costly middlemen and removes old market inefficiencies. 
Fundrise delivers the kind of investing power you typically only see at the big institutions and can now bring real estate's unique potential for long-term growth and cash flow to individual investors like us. Getting started is simple and usually takes less than five minutes. When you invest with Fundrise, you'll be instantly diversified across dozens of real estate projects, each one carefully vetted and actively managed by Fundrise's team of real estate professionals. Then you can use their intuitive investor dashboard and real-time reporting system to monitor the progress of each property in your portfolio. Now that's the future of real estate investing. So are you ready to get started? Then visit Fundrise.com slash BP business. That's F-U-N-D. R-I-S-E dot com slash BP business. And you'll get the first three months of fees waived. Again, that's fundrise.com slash BP business. Thank you so much to our sponsor. Okay, now let's bring in James Anderson. James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, guys. Pleasure to be with you. Long time listener, first time caller. I cannot wait to talk with you guys today. This is awesome. Well, I'm a longtime intrigued person and never done what is happening in your business. So tell us, James, what is Forged and how in the world did it start? Yeah, so Forged is an axe throwing arena and we have been in business for just over three years now. So I'm actually sure a lot of your listeners have probably either experienced axe throwing uh, themselves or heard about a venue opening up because the sport has seen an explosion worldwide. There's been venues opening up all over and we were lucky enough to be one of the first venues out there uh, pushing the sport forward. And we've been ecstatic with the growth of everything. We've seen uh, tens of thousands of people come through our doors, tons of smiling faces, millions and millions of high fives clapped. It's been an epic uh, journey starting this business. That's awesome. And I have dozens of questions. I know Carol has dozens of questions, but before we get to Forged and all about Forge. We want to hear a little bit about you. So can you take us kind of back through your backstory? Um, Who are you? Where did you come from? And kind of what led you to opening this business? Absolutely. So just going way back, I'm from originally Vancouver Island uh, in Canada. So I'm from a, a city called Victoria on the southern tip of the island. And I've always been involved in sort of the outdoor pursuits and uh, really interested in getting out there, experiencing things. You know, my first job I ever had was teaching snowboarding. And in the summer times, I'd teach windsurfing at a a summer camp. So I've always been into coaching, into doing things outdoors and experiencing, you know, sort of new things and and sharing that stoke with with other people. So, you know, I've done a, a myriad of jobs throughout my career when I was Oh, just out of high school, I actually moved to Costa Rica and I ended up working in an e-commerce business. This was in 2001. So e-commerce was pretty fresh at the time. Uh, we actually got in, into the beta of the Google AdWords program. So I was I was helping figure out how to run ads for this American e-commerce business that was offshoring things. We had to set up our own voice over IP system because there was no such thing as Skype. There was no Ring Central, like none of these tools we use today. It was like a huge PBX box. Like we had routers and cables running all over the place. We had to hire an admin guy just to run our voice over IP system. It was a, it was a, a real education in small business. And that's where I got my first taste of small business, actually. But uh, shortly after that, I moved back to Canada and I ended up going back to school. I studied tourism because that was, uh, you know, I realized that was really what I wanted to do, my passion. And I went to a school in Kamloops, British Columbia, 
for adventure guiding. It was Thompson Rivers University. And uh, at that time, I was thinking, you know, I want to just use my love of the outdoors and I want to spend all, as much time as possible outside and teach people about the amazing world, like uh, the outdoors. And that way I can go skiing every day. I could go kayaking. I could do whatever I wanted. So I got really, really involved in whitewater and uh, rafting. And uh, I met, uh, you know, a really good friend of mine now and who's now my current business partner, Brett. So we were, we would always talk about, uh, you know, what rafting company we were going to start. We, we both had this itch. We wanted to start something and we were trying to figure out how we could start a rafting company. Maybe we could buy the one that we worked for. But uh, the thing about whitewater rafting is there's only so many rivers you can do it on. And on all the rivers, especially here in Canada, the rivers that you can do it on are permitted. So there's only so many permits that are allowed per river. So as time goes on, those permits start to become more and more and more valuable. And the guys getting out of the industry are going to sell these things for millions of dollars. And we're like, well, we're, we're broke. We don't have millions of dollars. You know, my jobs at that time were tree planting, uh, which I was getting paid 10 cents a tree for. And then I was raft guiding and you don't make a million bucks raft guiding. I can tell you that right now. Great lifestyle, but it's not a moneymaker. So we were looking for something else to do. We actually started another business uh, which is an event lighting business. Our busiest season would be the Christmas season where we would install Christmas lights, millions and millions of lights all over Victoria, Whistler and Kamloops. We had uh, a cruise going all over the place installing Christmas lights. And then we sort of got into wedding lighting and then uh, we were selling lights to festivals and events and things like that. And actually this week, uh, exciting times, those businesses are selling this week. No, no joke. So we've held on to them for years, but that seed money we took and and from one really profitable Christmas light season, we realized we wanted to start something that had better cash flow year round and we wanted to expand our breadth. You know, we're, we're tourism guys. We don't want to be in home service, although home service was a great business at that time, gave us the opportunity. We wanted to get into something where we could share that love of teaching and excitement and where our clients just love us and want to come back. Uh, you don't quite get that in the home service industry. And, you know, that's what we thought was missing. And we found the opportunity for Forged and, uh, you know, we, we went for it and uh, invested all our own money. We didn't take any loans. Uh, we did it all ourselves, uh, which is probably a mistake in hindsight. You know, it's great to use leverage when you can, but we did it ourselves. We were really proud of that. And uh, yeah, we, we started Forged. Uh, so it was two months from the time we got our, our lease in February of 2017 until we uh, opened our doors. Very cool. So this was back in 2017. And remind me, what is your business partner's name? Uh, Brett. Yeah. Uh, Brett. Brett. So Brett and James were doing what when, so like you said, ax throwing is a whole, it's not totally new right now. We're in the middle of 2019. So it sounds like though, this was very, very back in the beginning of when ax throwing became a thing. So what specifically were you doing with Brett? And you had just a spark of interest, like, oh, let's just open an ax throwing company. Like how exactly does that happen? <laughs> yes. That's a great question. Um, well, when we were doing the event lighting, it was very seasonal. And so we would we would work for crazy for, you know, three, four or five months, get everything up and it sort of tapered on and then it tapered off. You know, our busiest season or our busiest month would be, you know, November, December. And then after that, no one wants to talk to you about Christmas lights except to take them all down. Right. So it's very, very, very seasonal. And Brett was uh, he would he would sort of make his money and he would go traveling. And so uh, in twenty. 15 or 16, he was on a road trip uh, in Panama and we would we would text back and forth on WhatsApp, like, you know, just sharing like business ideas and stuff like that. And I was working at a tourism marketing firm. Actually, I had a full time job as well as running the event lighting business. 
And, uh, you know, marketing was sort of my background. I had this tourism degree. I thought I wanted to try and use it. And I made some incredible connections working in a marketing firm and an agency. It was really, really amazing. And to this day, my uh, former employer, Deirdre, is uh, one of my um, mentors, and she's given me invaluable amounts of incredible advice. So huge shout out, Deirdre, if you're listening to this. But um, yeah, I... I was actually tasked, one of our clients was a large tourism organization, and I got tasked with finding some trends that millennials were doing that we could pitch to BuzzFeed. So I was like, okay, you know, I started looking at all these things in Canada. What do we have? We have craft beer, just like everywhere else. You know, we got, you know, cool food, just like everywhere else. You know, we got, uh, you know, this, we got that. And then I was like, wait, there's this, there's this dude like throwing axes in his backyard in Ontario. Like that is crazy cool. Like I thought that was so neat. And so actually I, I texted Brett who was in a, I think he was in a hostel in Columbia at the time or something like that on a surfing bit of the trip. And I was like, Hey man, like, do you think, do you think this could be our next thing? And the next message he sent me back was like, Hey, I started drafting logos. Uh, what do you think of this? What do you think about the name Forged? And I was like, Oh, sweet. Okay. He's in. And I remember I was actually at a media event and it was a really heated one. We were doing this, we were doing this public community, uh, sort of feedback thing. And we were getting all this feedback for, for one of our clients in the marketing firm. They were doing this, you know, sort of unpopular development. And I was the media guy. So we were getting all these heated questions and I was like, kind of sweating. And, and, and in my pocket, I'm getting all these messages from Brett. He's super excited about this new business. And it was a complete realization of like, you know, I don't want to be at this event right now. I'd really rather be focused on my phone and what's happening in here. Uh, so we started working on it and, um, you know, we, we had this plan and that summer, Brett and I, uh, went to Burning Man and, uh, had, a huge, uh, a lightning experience, you know, is uh, all kinds of art, colors, lights, everything's all happening. And we're talking about what we want to do. And I was like, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's time for a big lifestyle change. Uh, I've got, we've got the lighting businesses that are doing well. And, uh, you know, and maybe it's, maybe it's time we do this. So we, we decided sort of then and there that we were going to make a major change and we were going to take our profits and, and reinvest it in ourselves, which was our business. And actually funny enough, uh, our camp at Burning Man, we called the Sexy Dumpster Dive Camp. And we had this huge sign that we made and it, with marquee letters, Brett made the thing with uh, with crazy lighting and everything like that. And we hung it on our wall here at Forge because we had it in the back and we were like, oh, we just throw it on the wall. And it's since become so popular, we started making merchandise with it. So these are some of the hats that we have right now. So it says the Sexy Dumpster Dive Camp and uh, people love it. They get their photo taken beside it. They pick up a hat on their way out. So it's sort of come full circle. So that's how it all happened. I moved from Victoria to Whistler. The first assets we bought for the business were two camping cots and we set them up in our warehouse and Brett and I would just wake up. We would drill holes in the wall. We'd, you know, blow the drywall out of our nose and, you know, do uh, plumbing or whatever it was that day. And I'm terrible at construction. Luckily, Brett's really, really good. So I would be the laborer at Brett's direction. And, and we got her done in two months with the help of tons of our friends and family and, and every favor we could call in. <laughs> okay. I, I want to talk about the construction, but I want to start with what happened before the construction, because I want to know what did you do to validate your idea? I mean, did you just say, okay, Axe throwing is a trend. Let's give it a try. Or did you somehow validate that there was actually a market for this? Did you do like a study of your demographics and decide this is the right place to do it? This is the right place to have a building. Uh, I mean, did you do like a, a business plan? What, 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 what did you do before you said, okay, we're going all in and we're going to actually put some money into this? 
Yeah, it's funny to think back on that because, you know, once you once you achieve a certain level of success, you know, we've we've been open for three years. We're, we're not at the peak of success or anything like that. But, you know, people say like, oh, you're so lucky you started, you know, at that time. That's that's so that's so amazing that you, you had that opportunity. And it's like, well, a lot of things happened for us to get there. Right. The first thing is like I did. Both Brett and I went to school for for tourism. We've been studying tourism for years. It's we've literally been working in the industry for ages. So we've seen trends come and go. We've done tons of research on on the subject. And I had the fortune of working for this tourism marketing firm, the Tartan Group, for four years or three and a half years before we started Forge. So we were in the trenches. We were doing research of all these different trends. And a huge trend that we both saw within the industry was that adults are uh, looking for different things to do in the realm of what we call soft adventure. So, you know, not everyone is going to go hike Everest uh, and not everyone's going to be a pro downhill mountain biker. You don't have to do those things to participate in recreation. And what happens a lot of the time is people age out of recreation. You know, maybe they play hockey in, in high school and then they drop it in university if they're not quite good enough. Or they keep going in university and then they drop it because they get a family and kids and they don't do anything, you know. And, and there's this weird narrative, especially in, in North America and Western Europe, where it's like, well, when you're done work, what do you do? You go to the bar and you drink it all away and then you talk to your friends about how miserable your life is. It's like, no, people don't want to do that. People want to do fun things. People want to do cool stuff. And I got nothing against drinking beer. Drinking beer is the best. I love it. But you want to do do something while you're drinking beer, right? You want to compete with your friends. You want to have a good time and soft adventure, something that you can teach someone in a short amount of time that they can share with their friends. They can share that excitement and stoke and that you can participate in year round is key. When we looked at the area that we were going to come to, Whistler is a resort town. It's got some of the most famous skiing in North America and some of those famous mountain biking in North America. But, you know, the dirty secret of most resort towns is the majority of people who come here don't actually participate in those two incredible hallmark experiences. Skiing's pretty scary to a lot of people. You know, we got a lot of international travelers and maybe one person in the family wants to ski. What's everyone else going to do during that time? You know, yeah, they can go shopping. Yeah, they could go to the art gallery, but there's literally nothing to do inside. You know, in, in Whistler, we've got a movie theater. We got the art gallery. Uh, we got a spa. Uh, we got an escape room. But there's nothing to do for, for you know, bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, wedding meet and greets, uh, and anyone else who just wants to, you know, flex their, their muscles, get a little bit of adrenaline out there and do something that is authentically Canadian when they're in Canada. So axe throwing. So, so you mentioned soft adventure, and I, I've never actually heard that category. I assume it's a real category. There are probably millions of categories I haven't heard of. What other businesses would fall into that category of soft adventure, just to give our listeners some context here? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, adventure tourism is oftentimes looked at as the most hardcore. You know, I used Everest just as an example, but when people think of adventure tourism, they think like, oh, you got to be at a certain level of athleticism. It's really for this elite group. Um, but Anything that involves, you know, an activity, an element of uh, culture and a sense of place where you're uh, being educated and learning about the environment that you're in, I think falls into the category of adventure. I had the opportunity when I was working with a marketing firm to work with this organization called the Adventure Travel Trade Association. And I saw adventure from many different facets. You know, there's 
walking tours in uh, through through cities all over Europe that would fall into like a soft adventure where you're you're not just doing like a city tour where you're like oh this is that and this is that but you're you're walking with a a local guide who's showing you you know a local food uh, prepared in a traditional way uh, that is maybe uh, has some sort of historical significance uh, and and you're exerting yourself maybe you're doing a a, a bike ride along like a, a fairly easy trail like through the woods or something like that it doesn't have to be hardcore mountain biking but it has to be something that pushes you just a little bit uh whether you know whether that's physically or whether that's you know intellectually where you're like oh that's that's not what i thought i was going to be eating or, or that's you know that's not a it's not a typical hamburger that's a different thing and it gives you a real sense of place very cool. So you've defined that this whole soft adventure thing, you and Brett together, you saw this huge opportunity that there was a need and a trend for this soft adventure. You decided your focus for your soft adventure was going to be axe throwing. So what then? You said did you you said you had some money that you rolled over maybe from your lighting business. How much money did you each put in and what specifically did you do with that in the beginning? Yeah, so Brett and I each uh, had, we, we said to ourselves, we think we can start this for sixty thousand uh, dollars, which okay. is Canadian dollars, by the way. So it's probably about fifty grand US. Um, and we we ended up putting a little bit more in over time, but that was our initial uh, uh, initial sort of uh, guarantee to each other. Hey, I'm going to put in this much. You're going to put in this much. You know, the first things that we did, we did a lot of work beforehand. Obviously, we did you know write a basic business plan, uh, not a fifty page MBA plan, but like a three page. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, let's refer back to this often and make sure that we're on track. You know, and then we we got our lease. That was the uh, the first real challenge. There's a real um, shortage of places you can rent with high ceilings and a square footage cost that is going to work for our kind of business. You know, we're in the recreation business, which requires a large amount of, of square footage per person. If you look at like the bar and restaurant business, uh, that's much more condensed. You know, you can pack people in there. You got four people sitting at a small table. You know, we're throwing axes around. You can't do that. You need a lot of space. So we needed to find that number, that square footage uh, cost that was going to work. So that took a really long time. And then when, you know, when we were approaching the landlord, uh, we asked for some concessions and they they played real hardball with us because there were so many other people who wanted to rent this place. So originally we wanted to rent two units and open up with a bigger space. And they were like, nah, you know what? Like, we're just going to give you one and we're going to give this roofing company next to you uh, the other other space. And that was a real disappointment. And we had to change our plan. We lost half the space we thought we were going to have. And this roofing company went in beside us and Funny story, that roofing company actually stopped paying their rent uh, like a year into their lease and the cops were called and uh, we jumped on it. As soon as we saw the cops, we were like, oh, hey. So we called the landlord. We're like, I noticed the police are outside. Uh, Any chance we could uh, take a look at the unit? And they're like, what? Cops, like, what's going on? Those guys don't pay rent. Like, and so the bailiffs came over, they switched the locks and we were in there the next day being like, oh, yeah, this looks great. We'll take it. Even though there was drug paraphernalia all over the floor. The place was in a terrible state of disrepair, but we were like, you know what? This is our chance to finally take over that unit we wanted. We're, we're, we're going for it. So awesome. uh, anyway, sorry, sorry, Jay, to get back to your original question there. What did we do with that money? It was mostly for construction materials, okay. uh, uh, tenant improvements. We were making sure the place looked really, really good. And then we reserved uh, some money for marketing as well, because I knew that uh, we really needed a good launch uh, to get local support for our uh, product and make sure that everyone in town knew that we were here. And uh, and that was yeah, that was what we uh, spent the money on. 
Excellent. So tell us more about that launch. So it sounds like you really focus locally and you, and you mentioned that you put some of that money aside for marketing specifically. So how did you get those first customers? How did you get your name out in the community? How did you make sure that you had the launch that you wanted? So when we first started, uh, you know, we had two months of construction time. But during those two months, we also had time to, you know, join the local chamber of commerce. We had time to join Tourism Whistler, which is our destination marketing organization. A lot of uh, tourism economies actually rely on the destination marketing or DMO model to promote the destination. And we all buy into that. So we pay monthly dues, but it gives you a chance to go to networking events. So we got out there. We did all those things had business cards printed uh, pretty early and made sure that, you know, we were going to every local event that we could find. That was the uh, number one thing. And as we're getting closer, uh, we got a huge banner made for our front door, which actually is now our side door. It's not the best place for a door, but originally that was our front door because we couldn't get that, our front unit that we wanted. So I put a huge sign there and that faced the brewery next door. So everyone coming in and out of the brewery was like, Axtron, that is crazy. What is Absolutely. going on That's there? What, and those are your customers. You want the drunk people throwing axes, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and not drunk, but responsibly, maybe uh, socially lubricated. It's totally yes, fine. yes. <laughs> so we, we had this big banner saying, you know, opening party on this day. We didn't open house. We didn't charge uh, for the first day. We wanted to get people in the door. Uh, I created an event on Facebook and uh, we promoted it on Instagram. We'd, we've been promoting on Instagram our entire build. So as we were hitting milestones, you know, when our feature wall went up, we, we did all this old barn board. It looks very retro, super cool. You know, we posted that up there. We posted when the targets first went up. We posted slow-mos of us like practicing throwing axes. And then we went out to every local business in town with a flyer and invited them and all their staff to come out. You know, it's, uh, you know, one of the hardest things to do early on when your idea isn't proven and, you know, you don't have a big business behind you is looking someone in the eye and, and asking them to come support you and believe in yourself. It's, it was really challenging, but we went out there, we had small brochures made and uh, we just said, come on down, invite all your staff, tell your friends, you know, we're running an open house. You know, we serve beer. We got licensed for that day. And uh, uh, it, it turned into a great, great event. Uh, I was Really nervous because we were still doing construction up until the final minute that our party started. We were literally painting lines on the floor. Brett's brother was in town and we're like, hey, can you spray paint this as well while you're here? And, uh, you know, I was painting this line and all of a sudden I, I look up and there's someone there and he's like, oh, hey, I'm here for the open house. And I was like, oh, great. So I threw on a T-shirt real quick and uh, I stashed the paint. And I was like, let me let me show you how to throw some axes. So I uh, I started teaching him. And, and and as soon as it was done, I was like, man, that was, that was great. You know, it took 10 minutes. You know, we just give him a quick intro. I was like, hey, why don't, why don't you grab a beer? And I motioned him over and I realized like, oh, hey, there's there's four more people ready to, to throw some axes. So I taught them and I turned around and I'm like, oh, man, now there's a lineup. And we had a lineup out the door all night. Uh, we did hundreds of people that first night. We ran out of, we have released a liability waivers everyone has to sign because we're throwing axes right so you know you got to make sure everyone's on the up and up so we ran out of waivers we had to call our friend matt who's an accountant at an office around the corner we we're like uh, any chance you could print off like a hundred more waivers for us like we're running low uh so everything uh everything happened and a really really funny story we were so focused on the sprint to the finish of construction we were so nervous that we weren't going to be able to finish the construction on time that we didn't think actually about 
operations, which is kind of key to running a business. We were just so focused on our one singular goal of opening the friggin' doors that we kind of forgot about the business. So we were, you know, we did this huge party. Brett and I were like high-fiving all night. A bunch of our friends came in from out of town to support us. It was so awesome. We had the best night. And it was about two or three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, we're sweeping up and doing all this stuff. And one of us looks at each other and we're like, oh, hey, like, I guess we, I guess we're open tomorrow. Like, uh, who's going to work here? And we're like, oh, shoot, I guess that, I guess that's us. Like, we, we got to actually show up every day now and, and do this thing because, you know, we haven't, we haven't spent all our money on staffing. Like, we haven't, we don't even know what the experience is yet because we're, we're, we're very into experience design and we wanted to make sure that this was, you know, we're not just renting people access. Like, when they come and show up, we're, we're, they're buying an experience. So, like, when you throw access with Forge, it is friggin' epic and it's not something you're going to get anywhere else. So, we're, we were like, oh, I guess, I guess we're doing this. And, you know, it was three in the morning and I was just so exhausted. We'd literally been working like 75 days straight on this thing. And we both sort of decided like, hey, I need, I need 24 hours. Like, why don't, why don't we close for one day? And so our first day of business, we closed. We had to close the doors because we were not ready, which is so embarrassing to think about. But on the good side, our phone was ringing off the hook and we were booking parties for the entire next week. And I did a little white lie and I was like, sorry, we're closed for a private event, which was me and Brett sleeping because we were friggin' exhausted. But we opened the next day. Uh, Brett and I ran all of the events ourselves because, you know, we were designing that experience as we went. So after every group, we're debriefing like what worked, what didn't work? What if we introduced, you know, this trick shot at this time? And like, what if we played this game a little bit earlier? Uh, why was that group a little more quiet? Like, well, how do you think we could break? Them out of their shell. Like we're trying to trying to really design that experience so that it was replicatable. Um, so that when we did train people and taught them how, we're like, this is the experience you teach them because this is what you do at Forged. And you know, I think that is part of the reason why I've been successful. I, I should say that you know, since we've started hiring people, uh, our manager Jess and our uh, other staff and Krista, our assistant manager, and they've added to the experience and they've made it better than we ever could have ourselves. So it has really been a team collaboration, but early on it was just Brett and I doing everything for the first three months and we would just trade shifts and, uh, and one of us would do emails while the other person hosted a group and it was very full on. (laughs) So very cool. Go ahead, Jay. I I was just going to say, you mentioned experiences a couple of times. And so I'm just curious, how have you crafted your experiences? How have you kind of made it so that it's not just walking and grabbing some axes and some beer and drunkenly throwing axes? Um, Clearly people are walking in and, and because they have no knowledge of axe throwing. Like I would, I'd almost be intimidated to walk into this place because I'm like, are they going to show me how to do this? Are they just going to hand me the axes and expect that I'm going to figure it out myself? So how did you craft those experiences? What was, what was the process and what did that experience or those experiences ultimately look like? You know what's funny, Jay? We actually get groups who still come in and when we give them the demo and then we turn around, we hand the axe to them they're like, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? I thought this was a spectator sport. We're like, no, 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 it's not a show. You're going to do this with us. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like I can do this. Yeah, you can do this. So, so the experience, you know, for us, the experience starts when people first find out about your business, right? So for us, a lot of times it starts on Instagram or it starts through a brochure or it starts through a Google search, right? So what's the first thing that they're actually going to see about us? And, you know, we're very casual in our the way our entire business is structured and we want that to come across in our marketing. So it's like relaxed, casual, but, you know, we take safety very seriously, obviously. So safety is a huge concern for people. We want people to know that, you know, that is uh, uh, front of mind and, 
Uh, but at the same time, like we're here to have fun. Uh, we joke around. If you read our FAQ page, there's a lot of sort of tongue in cheek jokes in there and stuff like that. But it starts there and then it carries on. So when people call us, you know, like uh, we have like a, a, a greeting that, you know, uh, uh, sort of hits them with most of the information that they're going to want. So it tells them the hours and it tells them, you know, how to book and it tells them all those things. So otherwise the phone would be ringing off the hook. So we have sort of that automated uh, answering service to help us out. But then if they want to get through to us, they, you know, they press one or whatever, talk to our staff. And if they want to book over the phone, that's great. But, you know, instead of like boring hold music, we got like dope hip hop on there. You know, we're like, we're like making this fun. So like the whole thing is about sort of having fun. And all of those touch points are really key for us. And then when people finally walk through the doors, they're not walking into like a sterile, boring ass warehouse. You know, they are walking into a dope experience. So we've got like, you know, our, our whole construction, uh, Brett's the mastermind of design. And he was like, you know what we should do? We should do like wrought iron piping with like exposed old uh, wood and barn board. And like, we're going to put the burning man sign on the wall. Like we're going to do all this cool stuff. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. Right on. And then we actually papered our uh, wallpapered our bathroom with archival logging images from uh, this, this whole area that we're in was founded through logging camps, like uh, through resource extraction. So we found all these, all these old archival images. Brett's girlfriend, Jess actually uh, uh, put the wallpaper up in the bathroom. So people are just like, where are we? This is like such a crazy place. And that's part of the experience too. You know, that, that visual feast that they get when they get there. And then, you know, as soon as they start throwing, they're introduced to their host, who's now like their best friend who they're going to hang out with for the next hour. And uh, when they leave, you know, it's full of high fives. If they do an amazing shot, they're going to get a Polaroid taken, put on the wall of fame. You know, it is, it is very much like a designed uh, experience and we want, you know, we are, we are a recreational experience and we're there to provide people the best experience of their life. So, you know, when they're heading out the door, maybe they buy a hat or a t-shirt, they're proud and super stoked that they can wear that and be like, you would never believe what I did when I was in Whistler. This is so much fun. I love listening to every little last nugget in this story. And there's so much powerful stuff in there. I think it's fascinating how you were talking about when you started to make sure that you had that line out the door, that it was all more traditional marketing, which I think is fascinating given the year that you started, which was 2017, right? So 2017 is very much, um, as we know now, the age of everything is online marketing and it's online, 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 digital. And it's such kind of taking a step back from traditional, yet you found Found so much powerful success in many of those traditional avenues. So I'm wondering, as the time has gone on over these past three years, has that changed at all? Has that morphed exponentially? Has there become a blend of both? How has it changed as your business has grown as far as your marketing avenues? Yeah, it's a, that's a really good question. And the answer, you know, often surprises people when we talk about this. Um, I am you know, a huge believer in just marketing in general. I'm a marketing evangelist. I, I spent a lot of time working at this marketing firm. And when I was there, you know, my job title was digital specialist. You know, I was I was the guy, if you wanted pay-per-click ads, if you wanted a, a content management strategy, if you wanted, you know, whatever, a social media a plan, I was the guy who's making all that. And so for the longest time, I was so focused on this digital world. And then hopping over into this business and, and actually our lighting business actually gave me a, a small foray into that. We, we, we did direct mail for that. And it was something I was like, I can't believe this works, but we're, we're literally willing to try everything, you know, and direct mail had a huge, huge success rate for us. It was incredible. So well, we had a little taste of it. And when we came over into Forge, uh, we, we literally try 
almost any form of marketing that uh, we can get our hands on. But the thing I think people love the most about uh, digital ads and that space is that everything's so trackable, right? You can you can attribute your return to a specific click from a specific source, a specific keyword. Like people really love that. But I think the thing that you know a lot of people forget is that there's a lot of tracking methods you can use for offline advertising and get and still attribute your returns to the proper campaign as long as you're setting things up right. I use a, a service called CallRail uh, to manage our call tracking. So we have hundreds of different phone numbers that forward to our primary number and we're tracking every single campaign that's out there. And, you know, if you've ever done online, offline advertising, sorry, you're really familiar with the calls you get from a sales rep and they're like, oh, hey, James. So it's, you know, it's spring. It's time to get your new campaign up. You know, last season you spent 2000. How about you go for that full page or whatever their pitch is? And uh, I'll be like, oh, you know what, Carol, just one sec. Let me just pull up my call tracking. Hmm. Yeah, I see we uh, we got like 10% less calls from you guys this season versus last season. You know, uh, we made slight uh, adjustments to the creative, but what do you think can attribute to that? And they're like, oh, uh, 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 whatever. And they'll, they'll come up with some idea about why things are the way they are. And, you know, it gives you a very strong negotiation point, first of all, for your future advertising campaigns. And if you find a dud, of which we've had many, uh, we've probably had just as many failures as successes in the marketing world, uh, you take that money and you move it somewhere else, right? Like we've got a marketing budget that we use. And if we have underperforming ads, you know, chop it. Let's get rid of that thing. Let's move to another source. But we've found great success in many offline channels, such as brochures, uh, targeted newspapers, um, uh, 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 industry publications, such as there's a wedding publication in our region. And uh, we ran a full page ad there. And we were blown away with the amount of bachelorette parties that started booking. And I was like, I did not expect this many ladies in our space. I thought it was going to be all dudes. And like a lot of our marketing was sort of uh, male focused and all these all these women started coming and their feather boas and their, you know, uh, the novelty hats. And I was like, great. I love this. Like, this is awesome. This is so much fun. And so we started focusing on that market. And, you know, and that, that's to- a great point. A lot of us go into these businesses, assuming we know who our customer is or who our customer is going to be. And we need to be open to the fact that maybe those aren't the best targeting customer targeting avenues. Maybe we should be looking at others. And and so it's a great example here of how, yeah, you would think for an axe throwing business, it would be a group of guys with with plaid shirts and beards and drinking beer and coming in and let's do this. And and the fact that there are lots of women in bachelorette parties, that's really cool. I would not have expected that. No, it was a surprise for us, but uh, you know, a welcome surprise. We got got enough dudes as well. So uh, it's, it's great to get the ladies in there. So there's, I mean, there's all different sorts of marketing channels that you can do. That all being said, I do spend a healthy amount with, uh, you know, the big tech companies. Facebook and Google take tons of my money and I'm happy to give it to them since we're seeing great ROI. Uh, we do treat our website as an e-commerce business because that's essentially what it is, right? We uh, we were very focused on taking online booking straight out of the gates. We recognize that a lot of our uh, competitors in town or other experience providers in town, I should say, we're not offering a, a very friction-free online booking process. And we're like, you know what? This is crazy that it's easier for me to order toilet paper than it is to like book a snowmobiling tour. Like, why is this so hard? So we really focus on, you know, taking, reducing the friction, reducing the amount of clicks it takes to, uh, to make your booking. And we're huge fans of all the online tools as well, such as, you know, AdWords and, and Facebook and Instagram marketing and 
and display ads. We, we use all of uh, sort of the traditional online marketing suite of tools, but we, we definitely still invest heavily in offline uh, for our specific type of business. And I think a lot of businesses that operate in brick and mortar, many of the touch points that you want to uh, ensure your, you know, in marketing, you want to, you want to have touch points so that you can make sure your message is getting out there and you're um, apparent to your customers Many of those touch points are still in the offline world. You know, people don't just live online, uh, especially for physical brick and mortar businesses. They're out there. They're in the community. They're in the grocery store. They're, uh, you know, they're at your competitors or partner businesses. You know, what can you do to to increase those touch points? And offline advertising is uh, still up there. It's working for you, clearly. Before we move on to the next part of our show, let's hear from one of our show sponsors. Believe it or not, the world isn't built for entrepreneurs and small business owners like us. Sometimes it seems like there's no end to the hurdles we face while starting, maintaining, and growing our businesses. Finding smart tools to make running your business easier is crucial, which is why I'm here to tell you all about FreshBooks. FreshBooks is accounting software specifically designed for small businesses. It organizes and streamlines time-consuming bookkeeping and accounting tasks, allowing you to do things like create and send branded invoices in just 30 seconds, set up credit card payments right on your invoices to get paid twice as fast, and export tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with your accountant to tax time a breeze. FreshBooks customers say they save an average of 192 hours a year. Imagine what you could do with that extra time. Right now, we're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks, no credit card required. So just go to freshbooks.com and enter Bigger Pockets Business in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, go to freshbooks.com and enter Bigger Pockets Business in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Bit about the numbers, James. Did I read somewhere in something somewhere online that you're now in just two and a half years a million dollar business? Yeah, we're. I mean, we're actually just under. So we're at nine sixty uh, for the year, which we're very proud of in in axe throwing revenue. So we've got our hands on a couple other things, but yeah, we're very proud of the success we've had, and uh, I, you know, and, and hope, and we still see the business growing. So we're very excited about the future of the sport. Okay, so um, I want to dig into the numbers a little bit because I know a lot of our listeners are interested in this, and maybe it's I'm just really interested in this. So I'll use them as an excuse, but I want to hear this. Um, so you said your annual revenue, and I assume it's it's gross revenue. So the amount of money coming in is about nine hundred sixty thousand dollars a year. That's right. Okay, and how much of that goes out the door for expenses, things like rent and employees and all that other stuff? Yeah, so operating in the you know brick and mortar space, uh, a huge over a couple of huge overhead items that uh, you know an online business wouldn't have are things like rent. We pay an enormous amount in rent, uh, you know, so it looks like about six thousand dollars a month for our space. And then you've got things like insurance, right? Uh, when you operate an axe throwing venue, you uh, might be surprised to know that insurance is a thing that they uh, they charge you for. So. We especially do especially when your business is right next to a brewery. <laughs> 
We're actually in between two breweries. There's one on the other oh, side. There you well. go. Perfect. So, and, and they're great partners of ours. We love both of them. Shout out to Whistler Brewing, Coast Mountain Brewing. Those guys are awesome. So, yeah. And then the, the biggest line item um, for our expenses is labor. Uh, you know, I talked a lot about our experience and how important that experience is to us. And you, don't, you can't get an experience if you're short-staffed. You know, we um, were very focused on that ratio of host to guests to ensure that we're delivering the optimal experience and we're getting five-star reviews. I'd encourage the listeners to check out some of our reviews because we do get five stars. We really do. And the experience is what makes it. Our staff is what makes it. So, you know, every month, depending on the month, but it's between like fifteen and $22,000 uh, on staffing. So it's, it's, it's a big cost to staff the business. And then, you know, Brett and I do take a, a modest salary from the business. You know, we are fully living off of our income we get from this business. It's our primary source of income, but we're not living the high life, not driving a Bugatti or anything crazy like that, right? We are investing a lot of our money back into the business. Uh, we're both, you know, younger guys, like uh, we're in our thirties and uh, you know, we we don't need to to live the high life. We're very very excited about growing the business and investing in uh, in ourselves and our future success. So you know, when when a lot of people you know they want to know like net revenue, uh, like what are you taking home? What are you taking home? It doesn't quite tell the whole picture. Like if you saw my salary, you'd think like oh, you could probably make that. I, I you know I made more when I was working in a marketing firm. When I was working in an agency, I was working a lot of hours and I was making great money. It was a great job, and I took a big pay cut. To, to be an entrepreneur. But, you know, the net value of what I'm creating is in my business. And I'm so proud. You know, when I was a kid, I loved playing with Lego. And now that I'm an adult, I love playing in business. I get to build an amazing thing. And it is my business. I'm so proud of this thing. And so a lot of that money gets reinvested. We don't have to reinvest it. Uh, it's not like the business would die if we didn't. But it's like, hey, you know, it'd be cool. What if we looked at this little thing? And yeah, the return might come over five years, but it would really increase our value on the business and the perception of the business. So it's like these are all projects that we are, are very willing to take on and, and invest in uh, back into it. OK, so you're investing back into the business. What are the goals? So is the goal to grow this venue bigger? Is the goal to start multiple axe throwing businesses in other locations? Are you going to franchise something else? What, what's the what's the ultimate goal here? When we first started, actually. Franchising was really top of mind because we're like, man, we've made this amazing experience. We can train staff to do it. We've got great management in place. You know, we could make another one and another one, another one. But, uh, you know, there were a few other axe-throwing venues that came up around the same time as us. And and two of them really got interested in the franchising game and they started heavily pursuing that. We're like, okay, so if we do want to franchise, we could do that and we can try and go head to head with these guys. Or we can look at another avenue of growth. So, you know, we, we are always working on our venue here. But one key area of growth that we saw was, uh, you know, axe throwing venues love running leagues. And uh, it running a league is tough because you got to got to track everyone's points, their scores, their standings across an entire season. And then, you know, my venue wants to know how they stack up against the venue in like Red Deer or Calgary or wherever or New York. And so we were like, how do we how do we make this easier? So we made. A, uh, we actually got involved in making an axe throwing scoring system. Uh, and so you can you can see our program at 81score.ca. That's our for our venue. Uh, and then we partnered with one of the largest axe throwing franchises out there to offer the software to all of their venues. So we were like, you know what? I don't want to go. I don't want to go head to head with these guys. How can we leverage the success of axe throwing as a whole 
benefit our business and grow a side piece of revenue. Being in a resort town means our revenue is cyclical, right? We we rely on the seasons. We have we have boom times and bust times. Uh, we're just about to get into a bit of a bust time right now until the snow falls. So you know how do we how do we even out this revenue problem that we have and. You know, you do that by getting involved in in diversifying into more markets. And we're like, if we if our Axarn software was running at 200 venues, you know, we really don't have to worry so much about those revenue gluts. So that that was one of the primary things that we did was uh, create right now the world's largest axe throwing software suite, which is a very niche product. But, uh, you know, with the growth of axe throwing comes the need for for things like that. And we're luckily able to fulfill that gap for our own business, though. You know, there's always things that we're doing. I'm not sure if you can see behind me, but we got this like uh, drawing. Uh, I'm sure you guys are real familiar with it in the real estate space, but we're trying to, you know, we're redoing our bathrooms. We're adding two more lanes. We've actually, since uh, we took over the front unit, we took over another unit beside us and we've exhausted the amount of expansion we can do in our current location. So now we're trying to optimize how our location runs. We're adding seating, we're improving the retail experience, and we're looking for, you know, new partnerships and packages that we can do with wholesale providers, such as the, you know, the bus tour companies, the mass tourism companies. So we can pre-sell a lot of our experiences to our guests before they even get to Whistler. And there's a lot of work you can do on the back end like that. That's awesome. And so just to, to plug your business a little bit, um, I actually went to TripAdvisor to see what your reviews were and to see how many you had. And wow, you've got like 700 five-star reviews. Like you're, you're consistently five-star. And I think it was, it was close to 700 reviews on TripAdvisor. Um, so clearly <laughs> you. you are doing something right. So with that in mind, I, I want to lead into kind of the last question, unless Carol has some so, something else. But for somebody out there who's looking to start a brick and mortar experience type business like this, if you had to kind of summarize your learnings over the last three years and best practices, the mistakes you made and how you wouldn't make them again, what are some tips or what are the best tips you could think of for somebody that's thinking about, I want to go and I want to do this? The first thing I touch on is that with the rise of e-commerce and online business, there's actually an enormous opportunity for people to invest in brick and mortar. It's something that's been largely ignored, especially by younger entrepreneurs, because they see, you know, what's, uh, you know, everyone sees the success stories of Silicon Valley or, you know, whoever affiliate marketer and the scalability. And that's great. I love all that stuff. It's awesome. But there's great businesses sitting in every town, city, province, state, you know, across the world. You know, I would, I would really take a close look at what markets are being underserved in your immediate area or, you know, in whatever population can support the type of business that you're looking at. And, you know, start, start running an analysis. A big part of, you know, an entrepreneur's job, like everyone, everyone romanticizes entrepreneurship, right? But a big part of the work is, the work that you never get paid for. It's the million business plans that I've made that are sitting on a shelf that I'm never going to use. Cause I'm like, you know, we, we did all the due diligence. We did all the research. We did this, we did that. And then pff, it all like fizzles and dies. Right. Like, and I'm sure you guys have a bunch of those sitting around too, right? Like you, the Absolutely. work that you don't get paid for is all that research. And if you're an entrepreneur, you got to love that. You got to love that drive and like that, that quest for opportunities. It's not like I jump on every opportunity that we find, like, Brett and I come up with a thousand really, really bad ideas for every good idea that might like bubble to the surface. And we're like, oh, oh my God, we got something finally. So, so I'd, I'd encourage everyone to start looking. First of all, you, you really got to be curious. You got to look, see what's out there, you know, and 
especially in brick and mortar with the with the lack of people interested in in the space right now i'd really encourage people to look at any businesses that might be for sale that you think you could add value to i think there's huge opportunity in looking for some of those uh uh, entrepreneurs that might be either aging out of their business or they're looking for retirement, they're looking for succession, and they don't have it. It's really hard to find now. It used to be there was no online business that was taking all the young entrepreneurs, and everyone wanted that opportunity. And now there, no one, no one wants it. You know, there's businesses selling for one x earnings. It's wild. Like get in there, improve that thing, and make some money. Like there's huge opportunities sitting on people's doorsteps. I love that. I mean, these days, all you hear about are people talking about online businesses and, and nothing wrong with that. But um, you hear start an Amazon business or start a, an e-commerce store or do internet marketing or whatever the online business is, thinking this is great because I can start with no money and I can sit at my computer and do all this. But the key is there's so much competition there. And the reason there's so much competition there is because everybody is is trying to do this. And the place where there's no competition right now, not no competition, obviously, but the place where there's a lot less competition than there was just a few years ago are in these brick and mortar stores because everybody's kind of the, the young folks are focused on online. The older folks are transitioning out. They're getting towards retirement and they're shutting down these businesses. And like you said, this is a great opportunity for people to come in and literally be able to say, don't just retire. Don't just shut down your business. Let me take your business over. I will give you one time earning or one and a half times earnings, which is is a very low number. I mean, basically low. you, you get and, your and investment I- back in a year or two years. Yeah, it's exactly that. Right now, money is super cheap to borrow. Um, so I'd, I'd really encourage people, you know, a lot of people are are nervous about taking financing and I get it. Uh, and when you're starting a new venture, it's slightly riskier than buying an existing one. I, I We did start from scratch. I'm not saying don't do that. But if you're if you're curious about the space, you want to get your feet wet in entrepreneurship, look at those opportunities. One times, one and a half times earnings. If you're borrowing money and you can make back that investment in one and a half years, that's nothing, man. That's nothing. You're just getting started at that point. Like when I, one and a half years ago, uh, it was nowhere near like uh, our, our business where it's at right now. There's so much value, so much change and so much energy you can inject into a business like that. You know, I always like when people, when I talk to people about this, I always like uh, link it to real estate because there's been, uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the huge rise, the, the reno shows, the flipping shows, all this. And the advice is exactly the same. Look for a value that you can provide some value to. Fix that place up, uh, you know, make some money through either uh, increased revenue and, and rent in the real estate analogy there or improved sales in the retail analogy or whatever you want it to be and and grow that business. And if you want, there's an exit always there. You can always look at selling in the future. There's always people who are going to be wanting to buy and sell businesses. It's a marketplace. So, you know, I would I'd really encourage people to look at what financing is available right now. Money's crazy cheap at the moment. So if you can't make board money work right now, you know, in the, in the 80s, interest rates are at like 20%. Like right now they're sitting at like five, six, 7%. Like it is really low. So I'd encourage people to explore that. And, and here's, here's another tip for anybody that's thinking about buying a business, but doesn't have the cash. Even if, if, even if it's a small amount of cash that you don't have, 
there are enough people out there that are looking to get out of their businesses or looking to sell their businesses that you can go to them and you can say, I know you want, I'm going to make up numbers. You want $100,000 for your business. I'll give you $150,000 for your business, but I want seller financing. I want to pay you that $150,000 over the next five years or the next 10 years out of the profits from the business. And for a lot of sellers out there who may not need, and this is very this is, this is the way it works with seller financing and real estate. For a lot of sellers out there who don't necessarily need the money today for something else, they may be happy to, to wait two or five or 10 years for their money or to get their money over a period of time in return for a higher sales price. So, so relying on the, uh, the seller of a business for seller financing is a great opportunity as well. Absolutely. And the other thing is a lot of these people want to see their businesses keep going. You know, I I mentioned earlier, I sold my lighting business this week and the guy I sold it to is my longtime manager, you know, and I gave him a skookum deal because I really like the guy and I know he's not going to drive my business into the ground. I'm really proud of what I created. I worked on that thing for seven years. I don't want to just sell it to someone who's going to screw it all up. Like I want Josh to take it on and he's going to do a bang up job. Sure. I gave him a great deal, but ultimately I really want to see that business succeed. So I think there's a lot of value in, in that to, uh, to uh, entrepreneurs who want to see their legacy or, or their business continue that they built, you know, it's a, it takes a lot of blood, sweat and tears to make a business and seeing it fall apart would really crush me. <laughs> I love this, James. You are just clearly such an entrepreneur at heart. Like at the core of your soul is entrepreneurship in entrepreneurship and to hear the pride in everything that you've done and the, the, the desire to leave a lasting legacy is just, it's fantastic. I just love listening to you. It's just been, it's been great. It's been great. Thanks girl. Um, but I hate to say this, we need to get to the four more. Oh my gosh, we could talk for hours, but let's get to the part of our show called the four more. It's where we're going to ask you four questions that we ask every guest. And then at the end, we're going to ask where we can find out more about you. Okay. Ready for number one? So James, what was your first or your worst job ever? And what lessons did you learn from it? So I'm going to try and answer this one, but the worst job I ever had was actually tree planting, but I'm going to put a caveat there that I did it for a really long time and it changed from one of the worst jobs I ever had to one of the best jobs I ever had through sheer just determination and hard will. Um, So in tree planting, it's really an industry that exists primarily here in British Columbia in Canada. It paid about 10 cents, maybe 15, maybe 20 cents per tree. And it's mostly college age kids who are going out and doing it. But these logging companies are mandated by the government to replant the forest that they cut down. So for every tree they cut down, they got to pay us to go plant one. So there's millions of dollars spent every year on reforestation efforts in British Columbia. And it's through mountainous terrain. There's no like automated system they can do to do it because it's in really remote regions. So they pay guys like me to go do it. And when I first started, I think the season's only two months long. So you can only do like 50 days of actual labor while you're out there. The first day, I think I made like 30 bucks and camp charges you $25 to stay there because that's all your food. You got a place for your tent. They provide the transportation. So I made $5 that day for like 12 hours of work in the beating sun, mosquitoes in my ears. Like I was losing it. I'm like, what am I doing? I should get a job at McDonald's. But I stuck with it for a really long time. And I started making a little bit more money, a little bit more money. And pretty soon I was clearing, you know, 10 15, 17, $18,000 through the summer season. And I actually, I'm at my desk right now at Forged. Uh, above my desk, I keep my shovel because this <laughs> thing reminds me what hard work is all about. This shovel has planted millions of trees and provided tens of thousands of dollars that I've used 
for my education and to start businesses. So, you know, it started as my worst job I ever had and turned into the best one because of the opportunity it provided. Love that. That is awesome. I love that you still have your shovel. Excalibur. She's a great shovel. (laughs) Okay. Question number two. What's an opportunity you said no to and in retrospect, was it the right decision? Oh man, there's, uh, there's so many opportunities. You know, when I, when I think back to when we first started the lighting businesses, actually, uh, Brett started, we started independently of each other. Brett started one in Whistler and he told me about it and he's like, Hey, I was working in Calgary. I did this winter work and I was doing this thing. And I remember hearing about it at first and I was like, Brett, man, I don't know, like this, I don't think there's like enough of a market for that. It sounds too niche. And, uh, you know, I, I went and got a full-time job. I got my marketing job and the next year he's like, he's struggling a little bit with it. And I remember talking to him and he was doing this, he was doing that. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I I made the right call. And then the next year he had like a breakout year and he's the hardest working guy. I know he made a ton of money, a ton of contracts. And I was like, oh shoot, I missed the boat. This was a huge mistake. Why didn't I get in on this earlier? Brett, Brett identified it. I falsely thought that we wouldn't be able to make it work. And I, so I had, I went back to him with sort of my tail between my legs and I was like, ah, any chance you could teach me how to do that now? Because I see the level of success and why don't we mirror it in Victoria? And lucky for me, uh, Brett's like best friend and nicest guy in the world. He ran a training day for me, helped me off the ground. And then we ran the businesses in tandem for years after that. So uh, that was one that I definitely screwed up on in early days. But luckily, we were able to correct the course. <laughs> That's wonderful. Okay, third question. If you could go back in time before you started Forged, what advice would you give yourself? You know, I would I would always encourage people if they're curious about uh, entrepreneurship is to, you know, keep everyone, everyone loves reading and uh, reading the case studies, listen to the podcasts and, and trying to learn as much as they can, which I think is great. But the critical piece that you're never going to overcome if you don't do it is starting a business now. If you do not start something no matter what it is, like start something or help someone else improve their business. Uh, you know, if you if you see yourself as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, there's some critical things you're going to have to do. You got to know how to get customers. You got to know how to figure out operations. You got to know how to deliver uh, an, either an experience or a service in, in a top level method. And you got to know about cash flow. Help someone else do those things. Or, or do it yourself. You know, I always look at jobs as, uh, you know, people, uh, oftentimes people are like, ah, oh, the rat race, rat race, this, rat race, that. I can't wait to get out. Now, if you're in the rat race, look at it as an internship as for your future business. You know, like I learned so much at my uh, marketing firm job and I was lucky enough that my boss was very keen on like teaching us about aspects of the business, how to get contracts. She would, she would say like, you know, we got an RF or request for proposal here. James, you want to take it? And I was like, Oh my God, here we go. Like I gotta, gotta try and secure a piece of new business. She'd say like, I can't, I don't have time to go to this conference. And I'm like, Oh, I'll I'll go, I'll I'll go meet those people. Jump on those opportunities because uh, you know, all of those things are elements that you can use in your future success. So, you know, if you, and if you're doing nothing, if you just got laid off, you don't have a job, you don't know what to do. Just start something, man. There's got to be something that you can deliver to people that is going to provide value. So that is the core of entrepreneurship right there. You can read all you want. You can listen all you want. You can you can uh, do an MBA. You can do all those things. But if you never actually do business, you're not going to make it, man. It's all about taking action. I love that. Okay. Question number four. What's something you splurged on but was totally worth it? 
<laughs> yeah, right. I was uh, I was kind of getting ready for this question. Uh, so there's a there's a few things I've splurged on for sure. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of you know uh, fancy fancy car. I mean, I love fancy cars, but I don't I don't personally drive one myself. I rent them occasionally. But one thing I do love is travel, and I try and reserve a small amount of money every year to take a trip. So, and every year it feels like I don't have the money to do this. Like I could, I could use this money and I could buy like whatever I need, like a new computer or I could buy like, you know, whatever for the business. Maybe I just take that money, put it into something else, but it's like your mental health is actually extremely important. And one of the things that I find helps my mental health is travel. So last year, you know, I do a trip every year, but last year my girlfriend and I went to uh, the Southern United States, which is an area I hadn't been to before. Um, We, we um, uh, went to new Orleans and uh, we went to Baton Rouge. We saw a football game an LSU football game. We ate and, drank and, and had an amazing time. We're down there for 10 days. And, you know, like I'm not traveling in uh, opulent luxury here. Like we're Airbnb and we're renting a car, like we're just doing whatever we want. But it's a lot of fun. And it also gives me a chance. You know, uh, Claire, my girlfriend, loves doing things. And I was like, you know, while we're here, why don't we check out this kayaking tour? Because I really want to see how they're delivering the experience. Why don't we check out this food tour? I'd really love to see how they're doing this. And it gives you a chance to do a lot of market research when you're in different tourism hubs like that. And also gives us a great chance to spend awesome time together. Yes, it was maybe a little bit more spendy than I should have done, but totally, totally worth it. Uh, One of those things I'd never take back. Sounds like a great trip. It was really good. LSU football. Well, go LSU. I just got to say those fans, Death Valley, incredible, incredible stadium. The most amazing fans I've ever seen. We were there for uh, the homecoming game last year uh, against Mississippi State. And it blew my mind. We don't have anything like that up in Canada. Tailgating's not a thing because we got hockey and it's freezing. So you guys are onto something. (laughs) You guys are onto something down there. Awesome. Cool. Jay, what you got? Um, I think that was the fourth question. I'm going to ask a fifth question. I'm so bad at counting. You are so <laughs> bad at counting. What is that? I, it, wow. it sounds like you want a fifth question. I'm going to ask a fifth question because <laughs> I, I know this is the four, four oh. more, but I've had a number of people that, that always uh, ask me, uh, why are we asking what people's favorite business books are? Um, because All I right. know we often talk about on the real estate podcast or the money podcast, they ask the, uh, the question, what's your favorite book? So- I'm going to ask that question as number five today. What is your favorite business book that you've ever read? Okay. Do I have to pick just one or can I name maybe a couple? Name a couple. Go for it. Okay. Okay. You know, I know it's a cliche and I bet you a lot of people are going to say this, but uh, when I first read, it was 2008, I think when I first read Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, that was a big change in mindset for a lot of different things. You know, it, it, he was selling primarily, he was working on a supplement business and things like that. And I wasn't really interested in that. And I didn't want to do that, but the way he was approaching things and he was looking at, you know, the way he uh, negotiated contracts for advertising, I thought, man, that's, that's really interesting. Advertising is a perishable asset. It's worthless. Once the thing goes into print, that, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I hadn't thought about it. And the way he, he talked about currency arbitrage, I thought was very interesting. We currently work with people all over the world and, you know, it's something that, it, that maybe that book inspired. So I think that I still, I've reread that thing like three, four times because it's just a great case study of someone who's tried to look at things unconventionally and say like, you know, I didn't need to do an MBA to, to succeed in business. I just had to think critically and, you know, follow what's working and, uh, and test everything I can. And I really love that attitude that he has uh, towards things. So I thought, I thought that was really, really good. And from a a pure uh, business standpoint, I read a book about the 80-20 rule, and I think it's just called the 80-20 rule. And I was running my lighting business at the time, and I was reading this, and I'm like, 
And you know, one of the things uh, they sort of talk about, they give all these examples. It's like, you know, the 80% of your problems come from 20% of your customers. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they do. Like, <laughs> why am I dealing with these people? They're, they're, they're killing me here. Like, and their contracts are tiny. It does, it's not a huge part. I'm like, why am I trying to make these guys happy? Nothing's going to make them happy. Like, I just got to get rid of them like here. And, and you know what I did is I wrote this really nice letter to my competitor. And I was like, hey, man. I actually can't deliver the best service to these people. I think maybe you can. And they're like, thanks, James. Really appreciate it. Here you go. It. Here's You're a little present for you. And, uh, yeah, so I wrapped that one in a gift bow, sent it over to them. They loved me. They sent me some business in the future. They were like, yeah, James, you're a great guy. And I'm like, thank you. I really appreciate you taking care of that yeah. customer. Win, awesome. win, win. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That is so cool. Okay, so James, the more question, where can our audience find out more about what you're doing and connect with you? Yeah, so if you just search for Forged Axe Throwing, I guarantee you that we're going to show up there. So we're online at forgedaxe.ca or forgedaxe.com. If you want to uh, check out our axe throwing software, it's 81score.com. Or uh, if you participate in the World Axe Throwing League, uh, you'll be using our software, actually. So you can check it out there. And if you are like curious about the axe throwing industry, I get tons of questions on how do I start my own venue? How do I do this? How do I do that? I packaged everything up for you. If you go to axecourse.com, I will tell you exactly how we did it. And uh, in there is a Facebook group where you can ask me any question you want. I'm, uh, I post uh, videos all the time about how we do different things, set things up, why we do them this way. And so I can't wait to hear from you. If you're curious about the industry at all, I'm like super keen to, to know where your venue is and, and how I can help you get there. Uh, you know, I just want to say, if you get into axe throwing, a rising tide, I believe, raises all boats. I want to see axe throwing as the next Olympic sport. So I'm dying for more entrepreneurs to get out there and latch onto this so that we can grow the sport, the community. So I can't wait to see you at the next tournament. So, so for all our listeners out there, James is begging you to compete with him. Start Do your it. own axe throwing business. I love competition. I love there competition because it makes me better. It keeps me sharp. And it means that we're heading in the right direction. There's enough room for us. I guarantee it. I love that abundance mentality. Love that. Awesome. James, this has been absolutely fantastic. I know our audience is going to love this. I've loved this. This has been tremendously uh, educational and also entertaining. So thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you soon. Guys, it has been totally. my pleasure. Have so much fun. <laughs> Have so, so, so much fun with everything you do. I just, I want to be, I want to work with you. My goodness, so much Carol's fun. Carol's only sure. Carol's only saying that because we know that you're getting ready to take your whole staff on a bungee jumping trip right after this, uh, this recording. So that's why Carol's saying that. That's right. So much awesome. Huge shout out to Worcester Bungee. Can't wait to be jumping off that bridge. It's going to be wild. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, James. Talk to you soon. Thank you guys. Loved, loved, loved James. Seriously. Was that such an awesome interview, Jay? I love the fact that he was so enthusiastic about his business. I mean, seriously, he he was probably one of the happiest people that we've talked to. Like, he, it was just the enthusiasm just came right through. And I love the last part of that discussion about for people that want to be starting their own uh, their own business, that want to be jumping into entrepreneurship, basically don't sit around and wait for it to happen. Take action. And even if you're not ready to start your own business, go help somebody with their with their business. Uh, if you're in a nine to five job, use that as an internship and, and use that to learn to prepare for your when you're ready to start your own business. I mean, just amazing insight there for anybody that's looking to get started with entrepreneurship. It really is. And I want to just one last thing on what you said about how much fun he's having and how much he loves it. 
Who in the world would not want to go through the doors of his business and tell our little friends about it? It's no surprise that they have like, what he said, almost like 800 five-star reviews. It's just that experience just permeates in everything that he does, everything that he says. He's really mastered creating an experience and he was able to teach us so many great things about how to make that happen. All right, let's wrap this up, baby. All righty. She's Carol. I'm Jay. Now just get out there and start your business today. Have a good one, everybody. Love it. Take care, everybody. Bye. 